This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rabobank group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guest are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rabobank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed, strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. How have our textile and fashion industry demands and needs changed over the past few years? What are they now looking for from their partners across the value chain? How do you then translate those changes on farm whilst also rewarding those who are making a difference? Today, we dive into the importance of extrapolating value, how data points will be used to evidence actions, and the need to be brave. I'm this week's host, Katie Vickers, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dave Maslin, the General Manager of Markets and Sustainability at New Zealand Merino Company. Dave has had plenty of experience across his career with understanding how change or disruption can create opportunities that can really generate impact. He is a natural storyteller and deeply understands the needs of his markets. There is a lot we cover and he leaves us with many great takeaways, so I hope you enjoy the discussion. Dave, uh, great to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Let's start with getting a bit of insight into your career to date, Dave. What do you do in your current role at New Zealand Merino? And maybe actually, if for those that don't know, a little bit of um, info on who New Zealand Merino is. So the New Zealand Merino Company, we're a, a sales and marketing organisation for Merino wool, or at least we started out as Merino wool anyway, but we also actually handle crossbred wool as well. So our job fundamentally is to connect our growers here in New Zealand and also in Australia and South Africa through to brands around the world. If we're able to position their wool favourably with those brands, we negotiate long-term forward contracts for our grower um, suppliers and generate uh, revenue that way. So effectively, we're a wool broker, but we just go about that wool brokering in a, in a slightly different way. My role at New Zealand Merino is uh, I'm the GM of Markets and Sustainability. So my role is really about our outward-facing business, so looking at all the brands that we work with uh, and those core relationships, both at retail brand point and also through the value chain. And the sustainability part of it is making sure that from an environmental animal welfare and social responsibility perspective, the brands and our growers' reputations are protected. You know, there's a huge amount of, of focus paid to all of the various forms of sustainability. And so it's important that we're able to give confidence to brands and consumers that things are happening on farm in a way that aligns to the values of their consumers. Oh, nice. I'm looking forward to this. We've had the last couple of episodes where we've touched on quite a few of these points. So today it's going to be awesome to be able to dive into it to hear from the horse's mouth. Um, hey, can you just give us a little bit of insight into how you got into your role here at New Zealand Marina? Like, What's your background? So my background is in environmental science and sort of sustainable agriculture. That's what I studied back in the day at, at Massey. And that led me into local government. You were doing it before the trends. 
Yeah, yeah, you could you could say that. I'm, I'm not sure it's that trendy still, to be honest. But um, but I, I worked uh, I worked in environment Waikato as, <laughs> as, a, as a land management officer. So really fascinating work. I was looking at soil conservation and erosion control on farms. You know, in an environment where your soil floats um, in that pumice country around uh, Lake Taupo. Really cool role for a graduate. And I guess I was in a non-regulatory role within regional council as well, which gave me great insight about you know how you drive and support change and impact on farms. And and from there, I went down to Timaru, where I worked for Environment Canterbury as a land management officer there. And again, really insightful time. It was during the big boom of dairy um, coming through the sort of South Canterbury area uh, and all of the challenges and opportunities that that created. And just working with landowners around how to manage and minimise um, environmental impact in particular, but using non-regulatory tools, so, you know, education and supporting land care groups and so forth. I learned pretty quickly that while good intent is, is one thing, actually driving change requires more and also that legislation is a pretty blunt instrument with often really negative unintended consequences, both in terms of impact on growers, of impact on morale, on wellbeing and so forth, but also uh, ecologically as well. And, and so this role came up at the New Zealand Merino who were linking brands to growers and supporting growers' income and, I guess, long-term financial sustainability by telling a great story about how that wool was produced. And I thought, well, if you're really interested in driving positive change on the ground, if you're able to use that using market forces rather than a big stick, you know, that change might happen faster. And and I guess the rest is history. I've been in this role, uh, or at least in this company, since uh, 2006, uh, looking at some huge animal welfare-type challenges that the industry's faced, big industry-type changes as well, and haven't really looked back. <laughs> Amazing. It's a really neat journey for you to really understand the impacts of the the power of being able to use market drivers to make change versus a stick. What would be interesting is, is if we could just dive into, at a high level, what have you seen change over the last five years? And then more specifically, like the last 12 months, what have you been seeing from your markets in terms of their needs or demands changing? Yeah, I think we've had a, a real compliance mindset in the global textile industry where they want to see that standards and, and requirements are being met and that you've got audit processes and programs in place to try and prove that. So you've kind of had this compliance mentality that's that's built into the industry and a lot of kind of CSR type reporting. That's been there for a long time. And, you know, we run a program called ZQ, which we launched in 2007, and that's effectively an on-farm accreditation program where growers meet the requirements of the ZQ standard, we're able to sell their wool as ZQ and that gives brands confidence, but it's underpinned by an audit model. One of the key things that we've seen over the past five years is a recognition that there's an awful lot that happens outside of an audit process. There's a huge amount of good that's happening on farms that we don't talk about, that we don't see, and that an audit doesn't capture. And in fact, that an, an audit is kind of a one-size-fits-all, and so there's often unintended consequences associated with that. So one of the really exciting things we've seen from the market is a recognition that we need to go beyond compliance and we need to far more accurately and transparently communicate what's actually happening on farm. And so this, this concept of transparency whereby consumers and brands can look down the pipeline and see everything that's going on is something that's been accelerating and certainly in the last 12 months accelerating rapidly. And I think, you know, COVID might have had something to do with that as people 
move to online, a huge um, shift in purchasing behavior to e-tail where, where they've got access to huge amounts of information very, very quickly. And, and so the ability that the brands that were able to kind of open up their supply chain and show with great clarity everything that was happening in their supply chain right down to the farms became quite a point of difference for them because not everyone can do that, particularly in an agricultural supply chain. Being able to go back down to the individual farm is actually really rare. And it's something that we were able to do with ZQ and, and more latterly with ZQRX. And so that became a key point of difference. So in terms of the changes, we're seeing far greater need for visibility and transparency. We're seeing a shift in the narrative away from single point indicators of sustainability. So I know my greenhouse gas footprint, therefore I must be sustainable. That's kind of old thinking now. People are recognising that when we talk about sustainability, it's extremely complicated, that there's no one indicator of it. In fact, if you use one indicator, it can be hugely damaging. So so we're seeing brands starting to talk more about ecological health, for example, which incorporates biodiversity and water quality and soil health and climate. We're also seeing a far greater recognition of progress rather than perfection. And we recently launched our ZQRX program, which is all about our definition of regenerative, which is about you know, leaving the place better than it was when we found it and being able to measure that over time. But that focuses on progress rather than perfection, knowing that actually we can be directionally correct without necessarily knowing down to the third decimal place exactly what the numbers might say. So an awareness and a recognition of that, but coupled with that is the need to be able to tell really deep story, you know, emotionally engaging stories because it's, it's hearts that sell. So so the brands are saying, you know, show us the numbers and show us the detail and, and give us evidence of it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be super shiny and, and um, brands are actually okay with a few things being not right as long as they can see that there is a, a trajectory to improvement over time. And, and I think if we're able as a New Zealand agricultural and primary sector to be able to demonstrate where we are today and the roadmap to where we're going in the future, that's far more authentic and it's what engenders trust. And at the end of the day, it's trust that relationships are built on and relationships are what drives commerce. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. I think, firstly, do you think the demand for this visibility or transparency, is that coming from your partner's customers or is that coming from them as businesses saying we've got commitments that we've made and we need to be able to demonstrate to our investors or our, you know, whoever? Where's that demand coming from? It's a little bit of both. I think consumers are far more aware today than what they have been in the past. They've got access to far more information and they're being influenced by far more people. So the, at the end of the day, the consumers are influencing the brands. One of the other really interesting trends we've seen is the introduction of rating standards and, I guess, non regulatory barriers to entry. And so that's where a, a significant retail chain or retailer might impose their own standards or requirements before they're willing to stock a brand. That then is requiring brands to respond. So for example, if they want to get shelf space, they need to meet that particular retailer's requirements. That's really hard for a brand because every retailer has a different standard. Every geography, every country has a different set of standards. And so 
one of the things that we try to do at New Zealand Merino Company is ensure that the systems that we're running and the reporting and the evidence that we're providing around animal welfare and social responsibility and environmental integrity and so forth are meeting as many of those as we possibly can. So it's being driven by consumers first and foremost. It's being driven by by retail and it's also being driven by brands. And, and I think you've had conversations with others on this podcast around the role of, of investment and kind of driving that that agenda as well. And we're, we're absolutely seeing that where, you know, ESG reporting, the meeting of science-based targets are fundamental to the regulatory reporting frameworks of, of the brands that we're working with. And so they need us to be able to provide that. If I put my grower hat on, that's hugely threatening, right? There's a whole pile of people coming in wanting to look more closely at my farm. What if they find something that they don't like? I'm meeting this audit, that audit. I've had auditors coming up my driveway every day for the last two weeks. It's incredibly threatening, and I, I totally get that. But I also think it's a huge opportunity for us. If we spin that threat round and we actually are open to it and embrace it, New Zealand is, is better positioned than just about anybody in the world to tell an extraordinary story about the exceptional work that our growers are doing because we are absolutely at the top of our class. We just need to be able to prove it and to demonstrate it and to be really brave about it. So while it does sound like there's all this stuff coming at us from the market and we can't communicate with them and they might not understand farming in New Zealand, if we're able to embrace that, we're able to build a relationship with them. And if we're able to build a relationship with them, then we're able to do what a lot of people can't, and that is sell through at beyond commodity pricing. And so how how are you as a business supporting your farmers and growers through that? Like in terms of, I know you've got your ZQ program and your ZQRX program. What does that farm support piece look like? So I think it's, it's really important that if we're providing growers with signals from the market about, you know, what the trends are and the sorts of information the market needs to be able to um, preferentially buy our products, whether that's fibre or meat or otherwise, it's really unfair and disingenuous of us just to say, well, here's the standard, off you go and meet it. So one of the things we do with our growers is, is A, obviously provide the economic incentive for them to drive change or at least to, to demonstrate the impact that they're having. Um, so the economic side of things is really important. We do that through our contract model and providing kind of long-term financial security and stability for our grower community. But we also couple that with, with on-farm support. So we've got a, an amazingly talented team here that I'm privileged to work with who are out there every day on the ground with farmers, working with them, supporting them through the audit process for ZQ, supporting them through the trial and application of new ideas, of new technology, of new science, of new ways of doing things as part of our ZQRX program. So it's about giving them access to markets. It's about providing financial security and stability through our contract model. And then it's through supporting change through education, support, field days, and so forth to enable that change to happen. And we know that when it feels right um, and when there's an economic opportunity available and it, it makes sense logically, our growers are really fast to respond. You know, we're a really innovative industry here in New Zealand. I think we sometimes forget that. And so our ability to respond, our ability to pivot at times of challenge is quite extraordinary. Our job is really to harness that and make sure that we're pivoting in the directions that are going to yield the greatest impact ecologically, socially, and economically for our growers and for our market partners. Amazing. Oh my gosh, I just want to bottle this up and then spread it across New Zealand. One of the things that we've talked about a couple of times on some of the previous episodes is, or maybe it's just conversations I've been having just over the last wee while, is that 
farmers aren't actually going to see a premium for the practice change that we are expecting of them. Your model is quite different to that narrative. What's your take on that? Yeah, look, if, if there's one thing, I'm going to be a little bit critical of the New Zealand industry now. You know, if there's one thing we're really good at, um, it's commoditizing best practice. You know, we've got some of the greatest stories here in New Zealand in the world around agriculture. However, we are notorious at applying a one-size-fits-all to all of our growers, lumping them on the commodity market and then wondering why why we're not able to extract premiums for it. We, we have to, as an industry, provide points of difference. We've got to provide tools for brands to be able to increase their sales, increase their margins and protect their reputations. If we're not doing that, the brands might as well just go to, to any old commodity market with any old sustainability audit sticker on it and do the same thing. So for us, it's been actually about fundamentally rewiring how we do business. Um, so that's about saying, in Wool's case, let's move away as much as we can from that auction market to direct supply relationships with brands where we can form a deep relationship with the brand and its supply chain, demonstrate the value that we're adding, not just through the fibre, but through the, all of the support and coordination and marketing and storytelling that we do. If we're doing that, then we're adding value. And if we're adding value, then we can extract that value. And what's really important is that that then is transacted back to our grower community and we do that through the contract model. So so I think it's that kind of recognition that unless we're providing a point of difference that a brand can use and protecting that in some way outside of the commodity market, we can tell all the generic stories we like and have all the generic accreditation programs we like. All we're doing is is fighting in an ever-widening pool globally. We're a tiny producer internationally. I think if I look at the merino space, New Zealand produces something in the order of 7 million kilos of merino wool, 7,000 tonnes. Don't quote me on the numbers, but Australia is something like uh, 170 million kilos. You know, so we're tiny in the scheme of things. South Africa, about, about 50 million kilos. And they've got things like the responsible wool standard and they've got, you know, all these, you know, there's, there's a proliferation of on-farm accreditation programs. So just going out and, and saying, hey, we've got an accreditation program, buy our wool, isn't going to work. The relationships need to be much, much deeper than that. And they need to be delivering true quantifiable value to the people that we're selling it to. Because if it's not true and it's not quantifiable, we're dreaming if we think we're going to be able to extract anything other than, than the commodity price from them. And so, so I think while it's, you know, a lot of the initiatives that, that we have in New Zealand are really excellent and are demonstrating best practice, the step we're missing is that model or that wiring that enables value capture. And for us, that value capture mechanism is for contracts and that's by no means the only way. There's, there's plenty of them, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of deep understanding of value chains and markets to be able to extract it for growers. I presume you guys spend a bit of time in those markets and with your customers, making sure that you do deeply understand like what value means for them. Yeah, we do. And one of the privileges of my job is a huge amount of time is spent with those brand partners, as, as we call them. And, and I think what's really important to note is that you know these are deep relationships. You know, these are relationships that have gone on now for two and a half decades with some of our brand partners. We're coming in and we're not having conversations about um, how many kgs of wool do you want to buy? We're actually having deep strategic conversations about the trajectory of their business, about long, you know, five, 10-year strategic plans around marketing, around consumer engagement, around global trend spotting. You know, the, the things that a tier four wool broker would never um, normally become involved in. But by doing that, 
we're able to do two things. One, we're able to learn an awful lot about the market and then use that to increase the value that we provide to the brands because we're kind of pooling that knowledge across a, a broad base. We're able to bring that back to our growers to make sure that they are future-proofed, that we're signalling to them not what's happening now because that's too late. It's what's happening tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. It's, you know, it's what's coming over the horizon is that we need, that we need to be prepared for. That means that our growers are prepared when those changes are, are required. And the other thing it's doing is it's embedding us in those brands through that thought leadership. So it's a great um, position to be in, but it's also one of great responsibility. I mean, our team are acutely aware that every day we're out there selling into Icebreaker or Smartwool or Allbirds or Lurapiana or St. Laurent or whatever the brand might be, we've got on, our, on the back of us hundreds of New Zealand farming families who are sweating every day to produce this amazing fibre and relying on us to be able to get that into markets that are going to recognise and reward them for what they're doing. So it's a really privileged position and I think the the approach, that connection to brands is part of why we've been able to um, extract the value from the market that we have. I think the ability that New Zealand Reno has had has been really good at linking that market through to the growers, but there's got to have been some challenges in driving change so far, I'm sure. Can we delve into that a little bit? What have been some of your key barriers or challenges in terms of creating change on farm? Change is hard. You know, you're moving into the unknown. Um, you're asking people to do things they haven't necessarily had to do before. Uh, you might be causing them greater cost or greater risk. And so there's a kind of a natural pushback. You know, when when the industry made a stand uh, to phase out the practice of mulesing, there was a lot of growers in New Zealand that were mulesing at that point in time, and they were doing so for really noble reasons. You know, that was to prevent fly strike, to prevent sheep dying of septicemia. And so, you know, there's a huge amount of pushback that what we were able to do through that process was to connect them to markets and demonstrate that, A, there's a market that's willing to buy your wool if you're able to, to make this change, and B, there's a whole suite of tools and R&D and support here for you to help you manage your way through it. So in terms of the challenges that we've faced, it's been around practice change, but we've been able to overcome a lot of that by really clearly demonstrating not just the why, and that is kind of around market or around ecological impact or around animal welfare impact, but also the, the tools to be able to address it. So we're going to kind of stage in a really practical and pragmatic way. Nearly three years ago, we launched the ZQRX program. RX stands for Regenerative Index. And, you know, the word regenerative is a real flashpoint for a lot of people. For us, what regeneration means is about continual improvement. It's about saying that I want to leave my place better than it was when I found it. And so, you know, when we have that conversation with growers, it moves away from kind of these preconceived ideas about what regenerative might mean and, and speaks more to actually, what am I farming for? I'm yet to meet a grower in my entire career that doesn't want to leave their farm in a better place than they found it. And so the next question then is, well, how do you know if you are or not? So what we did with ZQRX was really said, hey, look, you know, let's just create a set of tools that enable you to really monitor whether or not you are leaving the place better than it was. If you are, fantastic, let's tell the world about it. And if there are things that could be done better, then let's make sure we've got a, a set of tools that you can then pull from to apply on your property and, and to monitor that. So there have been some big challenges in terms of practice change that we've needed to do, and we've been able to overcome them through providing connection to market and really clear market signals that this is what the market wants, but clear tools for growers to be able to achieve it. Some of the other um, big changes have been around, for example, we, we shifted the auction market 
to Australia for merino wool. So there used to be a, a big auction for fine wool in New Zealand. We shifted it to Australia because there's a much bigger bench of buyers. That was quite a significant change to the way we did business as a company, but also as a way that the New Zealand industry did business as well. I saw a, a fairly viral video on YouTube a few years ago talking about how shift happens. You know, and it was all about you know the rate of change that's occurring in the world around us. It does happen. Shift does happen. We have to change. We have to evolve over time. That's how we stay in front of the pack. So change is hard, but actually change is really good. Change is what keeps us relevant. If we're not changing, all we're doing is doing the same as everybody else in the world. Um, and if we're doing the same as everybody else in the world, then we can't expect anything other than what the rest of the world is getting. And that is that is the commodity market in its true sense. So flipping it around and saying change doesn't need to be threatening. Change is actually a huge opportunity and change is actually about how we stay in front of the pack and stay as leaders globally in the primary sector. Dave, what do you think's next in terms of signals? Like we're obviously climate's the big conversation at the moment, biodiversity is also right up there. What's on the horizon? One of the things on the horizon, as I mentioned earlier on, is, is this kind of recognition that single point indicators of sustainability are being recognised for the challenges that they pose uh, and the unintended consequences that they create. So I think looking at far more multifaceted indicators of, I'll call it performance, is coming over the horizon is. And so that means working out how we might communicate not just what our greenhouse gas footprint is, but also our ecological impact, our social impact and our animal well-being impact. So, so I think that's coming. I think there's going to be a far greater focus paid to social responsibility and in particular social well-being. So that goes beyond health and safety and beyond um, staff and worker training and speaks far more to quality of life of those involved in all facets of business, uh, whether that's a farming business, a supply chain business or, or whatever. So th- I think that's coming at us very, very quickly. I, th- I think... One of the fascinating things I've seen has been the role that business is playing in driving change and driving impact. So so in the past, we've relied on legislation to be the tool to govern what we're allowed to do. Legislation is really slow. It's extremely slow and, and it's extremely blunt. We're seeing change occurring much, much more rapidly through business, through businesses coming out and saying, this is what we deem to be acceptable for suppliers' behaviour coming into our pipeline, either do this or, or don't supply us. So, so I think that's something we need to be really aware of and able to respond. My heart goes out to our farming community in the Hawke's Bay and Gisborne and other parts of the North Island with the challenges that they've faced over the last few weeks. And the really scary thing for me is that these types of events with the climate change occurring are going to become more more frequent. So I think one of the big challenges that the industry needs to face is how do we build really resilient rural communities in the face of this? How do we wire our rural communities to be able to weather and withstand these types of events? And I don't have the answer to that, but I know that working within high value markets and ensuring that there's economic stability and revenue flowing through to our farming community that recognises the extraordinary job that they do is going to be part of that solution. So other things coming over the horizon, I think I mentioned hypertransparency earlier on, that's only going to increase. We have a fear, I think, in New Zealand with the tall poppy syndrome being extremely alive and very, very well of kind of opening our doors and showing people what's really happening. I think we have to get over that. I think the world has moved on and, and is more mature. The world wants to trust in their food and fibre supply chains. 
and they won't trust us if we aren't able to open our doors and show them what's happening. So that's going to require some bravery, I think, and it's going to require some acknowledgement that not everything people see is going to be rosy. But I think if we go into it with a mindset that if things aren't rosy, if there are things that we could be doing better and we're all ears and we're open to addressing those, provided there's tools available to do so, we're still in an extremely good position to be able to be at the front of the pack when it comes to providing into those high value markets. The other thing we have to be really aware of in the New Zealand primary sector is that you know, when we look at wool, the world doesn't need us. The world doesn't have a wool problem. <laughs> the world wants to stay warm. We've got to demonstrate yeah. to the world why they need us. They don't owe us a living. And so, so I think recognising that we aren't essential is really, really confronting. But once we recognise that, we say, well, how do we become essential? How do we become the product that the consumers, the brand, the governments are specifying as being the best? Because if we can do that, then we've locked in our future positively. If we don't do that, then we become irrelevant very, very quickly. And the same can be said for our protein industries as well. So those are some of the challenges that are coming to us. But while they might sound quite scary, quite grievous, for me, it's all opportunity. We are wired as innovators. Uh, we are wired as change makers and as leaders globally. We need to embrace that. We need to be extremely proud and we need to be extremely brave. And if we're all of those things and we're able to t wrap an amazing story around what we're doing, then New Zealand agriculture is in a really great place. Yeah, it's a sweet spot being innovative and being able to do things differently. But I think that the pace of change and the enormity of that, I think, can sometimes be a little overwhelming. Dave, it's been a fascinating discussion. I feel like there's still so much to unpack, but we'll just finish on if we've got if we've got farmers and growers, of course we've got farmers and growers listening to this, well I hope so. What can they do to best position themselves in this future that you're talking about? Like if I was a, f a farmer listening to you, Dave, you know, what would you want to say to them to say, here's how you can think strategically about what's on the horizon? I think the key word is, is to be open, to be open to change, to listen to what it is that our consumers, our markets, our, our wider society, our neighbours, our, our friends in the urban world, to listen to what they're saying with, with an open mind and to be ready and willing to respond when it makes sense to. That's the, the real key. So if we're open and, and willing to respond when it makes sense to, then the onus then is on the markets and the brands and the people like me and, and the New Zealand Merino Company to provide you with the tools to be able to respond, right? So, so that's both through markets and through tools. So, so I think it's, it's about listening and responding. It's about taking, to use American sports terminology, it's to shift from defence and move into offence. You know, tell the world about what we're doing. Be really proud of what we're doing. Be open to criticism. And when I say open to criticism, it means open to criticism and recognise that that is the lens that other people are applying to you. And there might be some validity in it. And, and if there is, then be open to making shift accordingly. Those would be the key things. Wow. How wise are you? Dave, thank you so much. It's been an amazing discussion. As I said, I feel like there's so many things I've written down. I'm like, oh my God, I want to dive more into these things. But we'll wrap it up there. I think that the key message for me has really been around how vital authenticity and transparency are going to be. Whilst it can be confronting and something that's a little bit uncomfortable, it's going to be essential in how we do business moving forward and how we really capture that value in a world that is changing at a very fast rate. So appreciate your time today and looking forward to catching up soon. 
no worries. I've re- really enjoyed it. Love the work you're doing on growing our future. It's a great listen. Awesome, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Rabo Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rabobank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rabobank.co.nz.